for being a part today of Mountain Church. I'm so grateful for all of you. Um, isn't this a, an amazing, uh, amazing group that we got? Look at your neighbor and say, dang, you look good. <laughs> Saw some nervous people that didn't want to uh, look at their neighbor and say that, but that's all right. You all look amazing today. So grateful for y'all being a part. Um, this is our last Sunday of doing the Q&A series. And it's questions and answers. And a lot of times we've been uh, almost like subconsciously taught in church that we shouldn't question anything. Shouldn't question God, the Bible. We just follow it blindly. And even though that having that kind of childlike faith is good, it is a powerful thing to believe without having to see. The truth is that once we mature in our faith, that there is, there's actual uh, answers to those questions that we have. And it's important for us in our faith to, as we grow as, as Christians, as spiritual people, that we need to be able to provide answers to the questions that other people have. In, in, Peter, in uh, 1 Peter, it talks about how always giving an answer for those who have questions about your faith. Always be ready to, to have an answer for someone that has a question for you. And today, we're talking about Jesus. Someone say Jesus. Jesus. And the, the title of today's message is Jesus Manifesto. Jesus Manifesto. And we're going to be talking all about Jesus, who he is. Often people have questions about the ins and outs of the Bible or what is okay or not okay, right? But the most important question we must have an answer to is why Jesus? What makes Jesus, what makes Christianity any different from any other belief, faith, or religion? Today we're going to go into the person of Jesus Christ to learn who he is, what he did, and most importantly, why him? And so the first thing we're going to talk about is who he is. Someone say, who he is. Who he is. Let there be light, and there was light. 
has revealed God to us. Amen. <laughs> so that is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And that whole little epilogue is all about Jesus. And John, he's known as being a prophet among the, the, the apostles and the disciples. He's, known, he's the one that wrote the book of Revelation. And so when we read what John writes, it has a prophetic lining all throughout the books that he writes. It, there's so, a, a lot of prophetic writings mean that more is revealed, that it's, it's more than just the surface, that he could say one thing and it can mean multiple things. And so here we're reading this, this part from John and he's talking all about Jesus and identifying who Jesus is. We have to know that Jesus, even though he was born flesh and, and uh, in the Bible here, that Genesis shows us and, and John is saying here, he's talking about Genesis one, the light, that light that was there, that light that, that was with God, the spirit of God hovering over the, the earth when it's formless. It's talking that Jesus was here before the birth in physical form. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And it, it means one thing about Jesus being representation of light. I want you to think about light for a second. Now I want you to think about darkness. Oftentimes we think that darkness is the opposite of light, right? But that would mean that they have some type of equal. But have you noticed that you never have to turn off the darkness? You simply turn on the lights. As soon as light enters, darkness flees. And how, how instant is it? The speed of light. It's not even captured by the light of human And when it comes to the darkness in the world, we think that, oh, well, there's Jesus and then there's the devil. But the truth is, Jesus is, has so much victory in this world and in eternity, that there is no equal. There's no opposite force. It's simply God. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And Jesus is the incarnation of God here on earth. Now look, let me also say that God is, has so many things. He is a knowable God. He allows us to know Him. But there's only so much that we can understand and comprehend. And so He shows Himself in the ways that we can understand. And Jesus being 100% God and 100% man. He constantly says that he's one with the Father. And we, when we understand that, we, we look all the way back in Genesis when God, it says that God walked with Adam, that he would walk with him in the garden, that they had such a close relationship. And when Adam and Eve fell into sin and separated themselves from God, God started this process of restoring mankind back to himself. Now remember, God did not just walk on the earth when Jesus, was, when Jesus was born. He walked even before that with Adam and Eve. And so we see him here again, born in, a, in an earthly body with a plan to redeem mankind back to himself. And so we also see here that Jesus is the word in the flesh, that he is the epitome of the word of God, that the word of God is in him. And that's why when he speaks, mountains move. There's we, we can literally point every scripture, every verse is a glimpse of Jesus Christ in the Bible. 
He is literally the Word in the flesh. And all Scripture is literally pointing to Jesus. All of it is pointing to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So right now we're just establishing who Jesus is, okay? The Word of God is embodied in the person of Jesus, and He is a fulfillment of Scripture's and he lives in us. So you are fulfilled through him. You know, one thing about sin is that it's insatiable. No matter what sin it is, it, what sin does is it, it promises to please. It promises to fulfill a pleasure in your life. I mean, that's why people have such a hard time with sin, right? Is it feels amazing. feels great. It's, it feels good for me. But sin is insatiable, meaning that no matter how much you, it, it deceives you in saying this is the last time, this is all you need. You end up needing more and more and more. It will never be enough. You'll always be coming back to sin for more. And while Jesus is the embodiment of the Word of God, He's literally the fulfillment of Scripture. And when you trust yourself with Jesus Christ, when He lives in you, you immediately become fulfilled. That's why you can... Uh, you can take someone that has been addicted to drugs, have, have a crazy past, and all of a sudden when they give their life to Christ, they're completely different where they don't need the substances that they used in the past because they're finally fulfilled in Christ. That hole that they were trying to fill up is only filled through Jesus Christ. Myself, as a perfect example, I, I tried uh, almost every jug before. I drank and did all that I could and wild living, and even though I did it to the extreme that I possibly could, the only point that I was truly satisfied was when I tried Jesus Christ. I tried everything else, but once I tried Jesus Christ, I didn't need anything else. I was finally fulfilled. Someone say fulfilled. That was the weakest fulfilling <laughs> resound I've ever heard. The pro- He's also the promised Messiah. Did you know that there's a, in the Bible, when I first read it, I didn't even know that there's an Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament is pointing, all of it is compounded to point to the coming Messiah. The New Testament is the Messiah here on earth. And the, there are literally so many prophecies, so many, so many obligations to fulfill that the Old Testament gives for the Messiah, the promised Messiah to come. They were liter- the, the Jewish the culture, the Israelites were literally waiting for the Messiah to come. And even now, they're, they're, the, those who do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they're literally still praying, Messiah come. We're waiting for the Messiah. Amen. The dartboard gets me. <laughs> they're literally praying, Messiah come. Check this out. Did you know Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua? which is also this, uh, the same word for Messiah. And so the Israelites are literally pr- praying and shouting, Yeshua, come. Yeshua, come. And they don't even realize that they are praying for Jesus' return when He said He was going to come back. And here, that those people are thinking that they're praying for the first time. All of the prophecies of the Old Testament about Jesus, about the Messiah... All the, the different things that needed to be fulfilled, all the, the intricate obligations, where he was supposed to be born, how he was supposed to be born, what area he was going to be in. There's literally so many things 
that he would have to fulfill if he was really the Messiah, the promised one. And Jesus fulfilled every single one of those requirements. And just to understand on how many requirements there were and the odds of them, uh, of all of those being met, it, it's, it's literally like uh, one uh, or ten to the like thousandth millionth power. It's like ridiculous. It's equivalent if you were to fill the whole state of Texas up with quarters, three feet high, and for you to randomly reach down and pull up one red coin, that is how the odds are of Jesus, one person fulfilling all the scriptures about the Messiah. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so it's a very, it, when, people, when, when people try to speculate, we're like, how do we know that Jesus is really that? He, he really like, hit everything on the head really well. But we need to understand who he is as being not just Jesus Christ, the guy that died on the cross, but even who Jesus Christ is in Scripture, in the Old Testament. What, what he's he really fulfilling beyond just what we know in our modern culture today. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This is the most confrontational scripture in the Bible. This is confrontational with every other single belief and religious system. Even for those who would say, well, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe that every other way is to God too. Well, that goes completely against what Jesus is saying here, right? It's very confrontational what Jesus is saying. Think about that. He said, I am the only way. That's very rude, right? How could you say that? And so if Jesus is saying this right here, we have to be, that means that we have to take it as a whole, right? Jesus is saying he's the only way. Not just one way, but the only way. That's a really bold statement. And so if we were to analyze this statement for what it is, Jesus can only possibly be three things. He could either be a lunatic, meaning that when he said this, he really thought that he was the only way, but he wasn't. And so anyone that says that, that yeah, Jesus is one way, but there are many ways, that would mean Jesus would have to be a lunatic. Or he's a liar, meaning that he said this knowing that wasn't true, but was just trying to create a following. And the only other third option that he could be is Lord, meaning that everything he said was true, that what he is is real, and that he is the only way. Y'all dig what I'm saying? That, that is what this verse really means. And so for us to say that we follow Jesus, then that would mean that we'd have to believe this statement, or we'd be concluding that Jesus was just a lunatic, that we know better. We know now that there's more than one way. Jesus being the Son of God, He just didn't know that then. So, we come to the conclusion, we got a little bit of a background of who Jesus is, right? He's the promised one. He's claiming that He's the Lord of the universe. We're seeing that He's the Word in the flesh, that He was always has been, that this is just who he was. That's not his first time on earth, but it's his first time on earth in the, in the form of a 100% man, 100% God. That's who he is. Now let's talk about the, the juicy stuff of what he did. What he did. Someone look at your neighbor and say, what did he do? 
What did, what did that guy do? What did he really do while he was here? Did he do more than just die on the cross? Did he do more than just raise from the dead? What is the most popular thing that Jesus did? One of them was he was born of Mary while she was a virgin and was only revealed in his coming birth to a bunch of shepherds and magi, which the root word of magi, or if you've heard the story of the three wise men, that's just a lot more like pleasant to hear, like three wise men. They were just like smart like scientists in the time. Well, they're, they're actually called the magi, which is the root word for magician. They, were, they literally worshipped the stars. They, they did uh, seances of pagan spiritual stuff. They believed in many gods. And God showed himself to these people. The farthest away from God spiritually. And the shepherds that were in the field that they saw this huge orchestra of angels telling them that the, the king of the universe was being born unto them. Those shepherds were the night shift shepherds, night shift workers, which in that time was equivalent to like the worst job that you could get. Like it's already bad enough to have to be a shepherd of sheep in that time, but now you're the night shift shepherd. That's worse than being at Jack in the Box late at night. The night shift at Jack in the Box, that's tough. And that's what these shepherds were. So Jesus was revealed, his birth was revealed to the people that nobody on this earth cared about and to the people farthest away from God spiritually. That's who God wanted to call unto himself. That's who he showed the birth of a Messiah. Out of all the Israelites that were waiting and praying for the Messiah to come, God, amen, God showed himself to these people, people that no one even knew their names and a bunch of pagan magicians. That's deep. And then, Jesus waited until he was 30 to start his ministry on earth. So if you've ever waited for your your 30th birthday, pistol in the house, 30th birthday coming up, Jesus waited till he was 30. That means that the the prime of life happened at 30. He said, this is the time where I will start the the kingdom to bring it to earth. It's an important, important time. He waited till he was 30. And with his first miracle, this is the first miracle that that was recorded in the Bible of Jesus Christ. And it was uh, in this verse right here. It's in John chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. It says, the next day there was a wedding and a celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration the wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's like the polite way of saying like, mom, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. If you're familiar with the story, you know that this is the spot that Jesus turned water into wine. And if you... If, if you can think about this for a second, this is literally a point of Jesus' ministry where, where people and scholars and theologians do not understand. The two things that they do not understand, especially for those who are like real, like down home, like whoo, like hoop and hollering church style, is they don't understand why Jesus was at this wedding 
There's some churches where you're not even supposed to go to a wedding because they might dance. Why is Jesus going to this wedding? And then the second thing is, why did Jesus turn water into wine? Literally, like dumbfounds people. I don't get it. Why would Jesus do that? We're supposed to be the holiest people in the world. And here Jesus is going to these weddings and he's turning water into wine. If you look at this verse, there's literally like seminaries that study for weeks and months over the possibilities of why Jesus was there. Maybe he was preparing for the ministry later on when he would go back to Galilee to prepare the message. Maybe he he turned the water into wine because it's only symbolic for the joy of the Holy Spirit. But here, it's so simple in this verse. It's found, the answer is found right here. Someone say, oh. It says because he was there because he was invited. That's wild. He was there because he was invited. And, and why? But why would he turn the water into wine? Like, aren't we, isn't like that supposed to be bad? Like, aren't we not supposed to like really indulge in that? Well, why did he do that? He was asked to. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard in your life? That's, I just gave y'all like years of seminary. <laughs> that was like, like Bible college stuff. He was invited and he was asked to. Does that not show the heart of God? The heart of Jesus Christ? That no matter where you're at, if you simply invite him, he will show up. No matter what you need, if you simply ask him, he will answer you. Isn't that a powerful, powerful thing? So, the next thing that Jesus does is that soon after this, he goes on the 40-day fast. He's baptized by John the Baptist. And then he chooses the disciples. Now, in those times, to be a religious leader, you had to go through years. You had to literally be raised to, to be educated in the scriptures. If not, then you're, you're no religious leader. You're nothing. There's no way you could be used to do anything for God. That's, that's not how it works. Yet Jesus chose ordinary men, ordinary people, that were not only ordinary, but they were seemingly sinful, seemingly weak. They're seemingly imperfect people. I mean, Peter, that, that most, a lot of them were fishermen, some ordinary guys working laborious jobs. That's like equivalent of like just digging ditches. Just ordinary, ordinary labor work. Being in the sun all day. Down cowboy boots. That's kind of work they were doing. And he chooses these ordinary men, people like Peter, who when Jesus was being led away to be crucified, he was, after three years of walking with Jesus, he was denying and cursing and doing all kinds of stuff. And, and people look at Peter like, man, how could Jesus have picked that guy? He messes up a lot. But man, I'm so glad he picked Peter because it helps me to know that I'm going to be all right. Chose ordinary Seemingly imperfect people to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Chose people that were willing to not be seen by where they were at right now or even where they were at by their past. He chose people and saw them according to their potential. 
the potential that they could make for the kingdom, the difference that they could make in others. That's how God sees you. Not where you're at right now, not what you've done, but what you, the, the possibility of the greatness that's inside of you. One thing, another thing that Jesus did is that he taught the heart of Scripture rather than the letter of Scripture. The Pharisees of that time were so, you have to do it this way. Jesus even says, there's a point where he says, you Pharisees work hard to tithe even mint. He's saying like, like imagine getting parsley, someone giving you some parsley, getting one of those canisters of parsley and someone giving you it as a gift and saying, let me tithe this. And getting out and just out of that little bottle and sprinkling parsley. All right, that's God's tithe. I'm going to give that to him. That's like letter to the T, right? The Pharisees were so set on you have to do it this way and only this way. That's it. That, that, that's, what, that's what our job is supposed to do. To the point where if you read through the Gospels, Jesus consistently does miracles and healings on the Sabbath. Sabbath, keep the Sabbath. That's one of the Ten Commandments. That honor the Sabbath. That means the seventh day, it's Saturday, it's called Shabbat. You're not supposed to do any kind of work. You're not even supposed to pick up sticks. that's, That's the time that it's supposed to be set apart as holy. It's a day of rest. God rested on the seventh day. You have to rest on the seventh day. And Jesus, though, consistently does miracles on the Sabbath. Could you not see how irritating that was to the religious leaders? They were like dot I's, cross the T's. You can't do anything on the Sabbath, even good. And Jesus would tell them, is the Sabbath only supposed to be a day for doing evil or are we not supposed to do good? Even though they consistently asked Jesus not to, to heal people on the Sabbath, Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. He'd say, if, you're, if, a, if your donkey or your ox fell into a ditch, would you not help to get it up? If, you're, if your child fell into a hole, would you not help get them out if it was on the Sabbath? And Jesus said, here people are who were distraught their whole lives. They, they've needed healing their whole lives. And now they're in front of you and you treat them less than an animal because of the letter of the law. And Jesus was trying to express the heart of God. He said, yes, you should tithe. Yeah, it's good that you, you tithe mint and, and take it to the T like that. But he said, it's more important for you to not neglect the, the important heart and aspects of the law, like justice, mercy, and love. Jesus was all about expressing the heart of Scripture, not just the letter of Scripture. Don't do this. Don't do that. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And what's interesting about about going about it like that, going about it like to the letter, the Pharisees were like that, right? And yet, when when you live according like that, what I've found and what we see in scriptures is it's really easy to become self righteous. You start looking at all the things and how oh, Jesus even gives an example in the Bible of someone that says, oh, I fast twice a week. I do this and that for God. I tithe everything I get. I'm the best. I'm awesome. I am righteous before God. He gives an example of a man like that 
And another man who goes to God in prayer and beats on his chest and says, God, forgive me because I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And he says that the man who asks for mercy is less justified other than the man who thinks he is righteous. Meaning, the scriptures tell us that no one is righteous, not even one. All of us have messed up and fallen short that... That we, even myself, there's not one person who is truly righteous. In fact, the Bible says that our greatest holiness, the very, the most holy person that you can imagine, it says that their holiness is like filthy rags unto God. Meaning that it, filthy rags, like rags that you'd clean the toilet with, that you wouldn't touch like this. Ugh. God says, the Bible says that that's equivalent to our holiness. He doesn't share that with us to just make us feel bad. He, show, he tells us that to understand that we are not righteous. That we, are, we need Jesus rather than we can do it all on our own. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Yes. Amen. There we go. The Bible says that we are credited righteousness. Anyone have a credit card? Credit cards are the worst. <laughs> Julian, I got one. I'm 16. Working on the payments now. Uh, credit cards are, are the worst, right? Because it makes you feel like you have something that you really don't have. It makes you think that you have money and you're like, oh, I got this much availability. But then you realize like once you're paying it all off, it's like, well, shoot, they really got me on that one. I have to pay this stuff back. This is ridiculous. This is a curse. <laughs> and not only that, but interest. See, credit is giving you something and letting you use something as a tool that's not really yours. And the Bible says that through our faith, God credits us righteousness. That we are able to be righteous and use righteousness and do righteous things because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That he loans it to us. Does that make sense? And so he, he literally structured our belief system to be completely dependent on him so that we can understand that we're saved by grace and not by works. Someone say by grace. Not by works. And one last thing about Jesus was that he was compassionate. Now that we understand the dip, that no one is righteous, and yet, how many of y'all have met some church people that seem like they're the holier than thou? Someone double deuce over there? Means he knows more than one. He's saying this many times four. You ever met someone that just seems like they have this judgment about you? It's like you walk in the room, it's like, man, I feel like I'm not accepted here. I'm not good enough. That's typically what people have told me the way that they've felt about church. I just feel like the moment I walk in that people are judging me, that I'm not good enough, everyone's holier than thou. And me personally, I felt like that. I felt like that plenty of times. There's a time that we did a, a free hugs event down in the Alamo, and there's one group that was not a part of our church. We were giving out free hugs and Bibles to everybody. There's another group there that was yelling at everybody to repent <laughs> with a microphone. <laughs> And they were all suited up, suit and tie, the summer heat. It's like they got their punishment. <laughs> and they're yelling, they're yelling crazy stuff like, you, you ladies need to put on some clothes and repent. 
<laughs> Put on some dang clothes. <laughs> and we set up, we didn't know where we were going to get out the hugs until we drove past them. I was like, oh man, we'll go do it like down the street from them. So after everyone gets yelled at, we can give them a hug. Like, <laughs> they're going to need one of those. <laughs> and at the end, we, we, we walked over to them. I had my sign. It said free hugs on it. And I just was walking up to these guys. And they started yelling at me, you need to repent. <laughs> Dang, man. We're Christians, dude. Well, I don't care. Y'all need to repent. Y'all, y'all, why are y'all telling people free hugs? When it should say repent on those signs. Hey, man. <laughs> We're just telling people who the doctor is. We're all sick. We're just telling them that Jesus is the doctor. I don't blah, blah, blah. People like that, I always want to ask them, how many people have you brought to Christ today doing that? <laughs> I'm just curious, what do your numbers look like? We're just planting seeds, brother. Shoot, like at one point, you got to at least see one leaf come out of that ground, you know. got to see one fruit say, man, this changed my life. Thank you for yelling at me. I really appreciate that. I never was raised in church, but the minute that I walked by and you yelled at me to repent, I just felt the love of God like never before. I felt the need to change. Just the truth penetrated my heart. And I, it's like scales fell from my eyes. I saw for the first time when you started treating me so badly. Thank you, brother. No, right? It's not like that. That's why so many people are mad at church today. That's why so many people are offended. So many people are hurt by church. When we look in the scriptures, we see Jesus as like the nicest dude, Right? It's going to people like Mary Magdalene and, and saying, hey, leave her alone. Everyone's wanting to stone her to death. And he says, I'm not going to kill her. I'm not going to stone her to death. Your faith has saved you. you. You've been forgiven. Go and follow God. That's what he tells the, the people who knew that they were sinners. The people that knew that they needed forgiveness. Jesus was so compassionate, so gentle, so patient. Did you know that there's parts of scriptures where Jesus was like a loose cannon? There's a scripture where he literally went into the temple and started flipping tables. It said that he made a, a whip out of ropes. I mean, that's crazy. And he started going around like and whipping, whipping people in church, in the temple. Who was he doing that to? The people that have already been in church for so long. That were looking to, to be the, the, those who thought they were so righteous. Those who were abusing the quote-unquote righteousness of God to promote themselves rather than God himself. To all of the religious leaders, he would call them vipers, hypocrites, snakes. He says, how are you going to... He told the religious leaders, the people who spent their lives dedicating the education of Scripture, and he said, how are you going to hide from God's coming judgment against you? What rock will you hide under? He would tell them. He didn't say that to the sinners, though. He said it to those who thought they were righteous. God is looking for those who are humble enough to see their need of Him rather than those who think they are righteous enough to where they can do it all on their own. Thank you. See, that was, a, that was like an amen moment. Yeah, there we go. God was compassionate to the humble. Jesus was compassionate to those who, who needed forgiveness, but those who felt like they didn't need any forgiveness at all, 
He was so coarse, so straightforward, called them hypocrites, vipers. And he would even tell them, you, you may be thinking that you're doing the work of God, but you're, all you're doing is turning people into twice the, the son of the devil that you are. Jesus literally said that. That's like, that's like cutthroat stuff. That's like, dang, slam, hashtag killed it, hashtag chill, hashtag whoa. I don't even know if those are good hashtags, but. So the final point, we talked a lot. Y'all feel like y'all have a little bit more knowledge about what Jesus did while he was here? Amen. The final the final part that we're going to talk about is why him? This is the most important question you could ever answer. And I want you to ask yourself, just to yourself, could you articulate and explain to me why Jesus yourself? Could you convince me that you really know and believe of your decision, your commitment to why Jesus? Could you tell me without using the Bible? Could you tell me without referring me to a podcast or somebody else? Could you refer to me just by your own knowledge and your own experiences of why I should believe in Him? Could you really do that? I'm gonna, we're going to talk about how we can, of why Him, why that's really the answer. And the first thing that you have to know as a foundation to your soul, the foundation of your faith, what I'm about to say is literally the perfect answer for you to follow Jesus the rest of your life. If you've ever wondered, man, I, I don't want to like fall away. Like I want to follow God the rest of my life. I don't want to mess this up. How do I know? How do I prepare myself for the future? This is the answer. Everything you've been waiting for right now. Are you ready? Someone say, yeah. yeah. All right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching, all our church, all that we do is useless. And if, you're, and if that's the case, then your faith is useless. Another part of Scripture says that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you might as well do anything you want because we eat today and die tomorrow. He's, the Bible literally says that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you might as well indulge and every kind of possible pleasure you can here on earth, because after it, this, there's nothing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves everything. Everything. That's my dad. <laughs> I just saw him pull up in that big truck, threw me off. <laughs> He's coming, guys. <laughs> after, after, Everything Jesus said, even going back to when he said, I am the only way. The Bible says that even the Antichrist will be able to do miracles and, and lead many astray. So that means that demons can do miracles, magician stuff, 
David Blaine stuff. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is like the, the, the foundation of everything he said. That means that everything he said is true and real. That when he, when he said that he was the only way, it was true because he rose from the dead. He proved himself the son of God. And so for your faith, the Bible's giving you the, the answer. Did you know that even in philosophy, that for a ph- philosophical system, a, a rule of ethics to be impl- implanted into a society, it has to give, it has to go through several processes and, and guidelines. One of them is that it has to give a, a point for it to be proven false. You have to be able to give something like, if you can prove this wrong, then everything's thrown out. You can prove this one piece incorrect, then yeah, our entire uh, structure is false. The resurrection is that for us. For you and your faith. I'm telling you, I don't care whatever it is for you. Uh, If if you were to say, I'm a Christian because my family, I, I was raised in church and all my family is Christians. Well, what happens when all your family stops going to church? I've seen that happen plenty of times. What happens when your family stops? It, it gets tiring, right? What happens the moment when your family deserts God? Well, then you have nothing to stand on for your faith. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. So you cannot say, well, my parents were raised this way. I've always given. I, so I kind of just I raised that way too. So I just kind of followed it. If it's anything but the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then I'm telling you, time and, is the, time and change are the only things besides Jesus that is consistent in this world. Things always change. Time is, is the, the healer of all things and the destroyer of all things, right? But the truth of Jesus' resurrection is something that we can stand on. Now, with the resurrection being the sole foundation of our faith. Someone say, the resurrection, the resurrection. Is, my foundation. is my foundation. It's my hope. It's my yeah, there we go. Well, then let's look at some other aspects besides the fact that it just says, and Jesus rose from the dead. Let's look at some, some actual, you know, coverages of the resurrection to show it being more solid. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Don't you want to know? More than just saying, well, the Bible says Jesus rose from the dead. Well, what if, what if they just hid his body and no one ever found it, right? You ever thought about that? Maybe they just hid his body and this is all just a sham. Well, let me give you just three points I think will help your faith. In Psalm 22, it's a, it's a psalm that prophesies of a certain death. And it's a, a prophetic psalm that David writes. And it, descri- and it describes a, a specific death and it's alluded to the, the prophecy of the Messiah. Be- and it's, it's, a so- it's a psalm that Jesus quotes when he's on the cross. You ever read the scripture when he's on the cross? Before he breathes his last breath, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, why have you left me? Well, he's actually, he's not just saying that. He's quoting the prophecy psalm about himself. In Psalm 22, I encourage you to read it. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
My enemies have gathered against me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They, they cast lots. They gamble for my clothes at my feet. It describes the very portrayal of what was going on at the crucifixion. And in fact, that one psalm was written a thousand years before the Romans ever even invented the form of crucifixion. Before crucifixion was ever created, it was prophesied in this psalm, they pierced my hands and my feet. It's powerful, right? Another point to help build your faith in the the resurrection. And I I like this one because I remember there's a time where this lady was, we were having a discussion. We weren't arguing like bigots. We were having a normal discussion. And she was telling me about how she doesn't believe in Jesus and how she was on the board of, well, they just said that it's just all conspiracy, blah, blah, blah. And I like this one because it it left her stumped to where she left the conversation saying, you know, I haven't thought about that. I'm really going to consider this. So that for me is like, gotcha. (laughs) And it's the fact that if this was all a lie, if it was made up, the disciples just compounded this together to make this new religion, even though the person they were following is dead. When Jesus rose from the dead in the Gospels, the very first person he reveals himself to is Mary Magdalene. Now, in those times, A woman's testimony was worthless. Women were considered property. They they could not hold a valid testimony in court. Think about that. And yet, the very first person that sees Jesus rose from the dead is Mary Magdalene. Amen. That's like, to me, that's like, good job, Homer, high score. The very first person he, he showed himself to is Mary Magdalene. And he tells her to go tell the rest of the disciples of his resurrection. If they were making this up, if you've ever made any kind of lie before, do you not want it to be believable? Do you not make it a little bit like, like you know, did you really go out to eat with your friends? Yeah, yeah, I got a water. The waitress's name was Janice. Uh, yeah, it's... You have like all these details to your lie to make it even better. Here, it it would make no sense for the disciples to put a woman's testimony as as the primary focus of the first resurrection. It would, no one else would believe it. In fact, they, the disciples themselves didn't believe her. Peter and John had to go run to the cave themselves to see for themselves because they didn't even believe her being a woman. So, it's such a strong point that the Bible shows of the truth of the resurrection. Now look at this, this, this next spot. This is, a, this is a, a, a home run for me. The disciples, when Jesus was about to be crucified, they still, they still had their doubts. I mean, everybody does, right? And... Imagine the scenario. This guy is saying that he's the Messiah, the promised one. And the whole time the disciples are thinking of a physical kingdom, not an eternal one. And all of a sudden, all these guards come and take him away. And Peter is like, don't worry, Jesus, we got this. Slashes off somebody's ear. And Jesus says, no, put away your swords. You're not going to fight for me like that. 
Well, shoot, that means that we got to just like be taken and killed. It says that every single one of the disciples ran away like cowards. They left Jesus to be taken by the soldiers. They ran away cowardice. They weren't willing to die for something they weren't 100% sure of. After the crucifixion, after Jesus' death and the resurrection, they saw Jesus resurrected, alive. He even told them, feel the, the wounds in my wrists, the holes in my wrists. He even ate in front of them to show them that he wasn't just an apparition. He ate some fish tacos right in front of them. So look, I'm a body. I'm a human. I'm, I'm 100% man, 100% God. I'm not just a ghost. And after he resurrected and they saw the truth of who he was as the son of God, those cowards that weren't willing to follow Jesus to just be crucified or even go to court with him, every single one of them besides John was martyred for their faith. Being a martyr means that people literally told them to deny Jesus, to stop preaching Jesus, stop teaching Jesus. If not, we're going to kill you. And they were all willing to die for the name of Jesus while before they weren't even willing to go to court for him. You don't, you don't die for something that, that you know is a lie. It, any, any rational human being can understand this. Because they knew the truth, they were willing to be martyred for him. And John being the only one that wasn't martyred, he was, just, he was exiled on Patmos, left to die. So these points I'm giving you is to show you the resurrection. That it's not just something it's talked about in the Bible. It's not just something, a, a bunch of stories for us to try to understand. This is, these are real historical events. And it's not just in the Bible. History shows the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Caesar and Rome writes about the death. There, there's, it's not just something that was swept in the, under the rag. Everyone knew about it. I want to read y'all this, vo- this verse in John chapter 6, starting in verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. This is at a point where Jesus gives a message saying that in order to follow after him, you have to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. Freaked a lot of people out. They thought he was being literal. They didn't want to be carnivores at that moment. They didn't, want to, they didn't believe in being cannibals. And... No, and so there's literally hundreds of people that were thinking, man, this message is great. I love these miracles this dude is doing. And all of a sudden, Jesus get, like, is weeding out the crowd, getting those who are really committed to him. And it says, at this point, many of the disciples turned away, except for the 12, and deserted him. And can I just point out, y'all like, like, Ooga Booga stuff? Y'all like, like that stuff that's like, oh, wow, like that's like a code within a code. In verse, uh, the very first verse, that's chapter 6, verse 66. So you can go backwards on that. 
Isn't that the, like the number of the beast, right? That's what I don't believe that. I don't believe that six 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 is is like a literal six six six. I think it looks like a a different form that John saw in Revelations. But let's just look at that for as an example. Six hundred sixty six. Six is the number of man in the Bible, and three is the number of completion. Six represents imperfection as man because we were. We're fleshly. We're incomplete. We're sinful. And so 666, it means what it what it means symbolically is a perfect imperfection of mankind. And what we see, because remember, John is prophet, right? And so he, he says things and it means multiple things at once. And we can look at this verse. I mean, it's rare to find a, a book of the a chapter that goes past 60 verses. And here we have. Chapter 6, verse 66, 666. And the epitome of this number is people deserting Jesus and turning away from him. That's the epitome of what our flesh does, is turn away from Jesus. That's what Antichrist is, is deserting our faith in Jesus. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And for us, when we say, why him? If we were to conclude by who he was and what he did, at this point of why him, the answer that Peter gives is perfect. He says, Jesus, where else are we going to go? If you are the Messiah, if you're Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, where else am I going to go? I've, asked, I've had moments like that where life is so, such a struggle, right? Doesn't, doesn't your life have so many storms? And it gets so difficult and you believe in God, but it gets really hard. There's points where you just have to, even when everything else is going wrong, you just have to tell God, I don't know where else to go. So I'm still going to be here for you. You're my God. There's no other God. So where else can I go? You need to have that moment within yourself that whether things go terribly bad or terribly good, the moment that you can find a peace within yourself and God is where you accept that this statement, where else can I go? That moment that you say that, I'm telling you, you will have a peace with God even no matter what storm you go through. You know, when it comes to why Him, Jesus' kindness compels us to repentance. He made grace and forgiveness. He made grace and forgiveness the saving factor for our souls. Think about the, the other religions that you know about. All of it is based off of works. If you pray this much, if you do it this way, if you pray that way, if you, if you celebrate these festivals, if you do this, do that, meditate long enough, enlighten yourself, if you do all these things, if you work for it, you're going to earn it. If you work for this, then you'll earn your way to peace. You'll earn your way to heaven if you do this the right way. Well, Jesus is the only guy that says, no, there's nothing you can do, actually. It's only by forgiveness and the free gift of grace that you're saved. He's the only guy that says that. It's only by grace and forgiveness that you can be saved. There's no way you can earn it on your own. And so I'm going to just give it to you. 
And it shows us that the spirit of Antichrist is anti-Jesus. It shows us even the correlation that if we were to really believe Jesus at his word, that he's the only way, then that means that every other religion is the Antichrist, right? Because they would claim that they're not for Jesus, that they can be the same way too, right? Well, the, the ways even show the opposite ways of getting to heaven. Jesus said it's a free gift. Others say you have to earn it. Do y'all not see the connection here? Isn't it so, isn't it like eyes being opened that saved by grace, not by works? Let me share this verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Doesn't that sound different from what we're raised to believe? If you're a good person, you'll go to heaven, right? And Jesus says, no. No matter how good you think you may be, it won't be enough. Let me just give it to you. It's not for the the reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. None of us can be self-righteous. For we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Grace is the most liberating power that God has given us. And even though it's given to us, it costs a high price of the cross. Grace is not free. It costs somebody something. It was Jesus. I want you, a lot of times when we read the scriptures, it's really easy to just go over the cross lightly. Then they pierced his, they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross and lifted him up. There's no empathy when we read that. But I want you to imagine... Let's just walk. Let's just go on a short journey and see what it was like for Jesus from the moment that the soldiers came to took, take him in Gethsemane. It said that even from when they first came to him in the garden, that they began to beat him. You ever gotten in a fight before? Ever been so mad where you accidentally hit yourself? Maybe you bumped your head on, on something? It's like, dang, that hurt a lot worse than I thought. Jesus is getting pummeled by these different men with clubs, with fists, being beaten. It said that he was beaten so badly that you couldn't even recognize him. His face so swollen, beaten so badly, so bruised that you couldn't even recognize him. It says that they began to spit at him, spitting all over him. Anyone here OCD? I don't even like to share my, my cups or drinks with my wife. I do it out of love. But how, how disgraceful is it for someone to spit at you? Spit on you. And here Jesus is being spit upon. They're mocking him. Saying, prophesy to us, who hit you that time? If you really are the son of God, then have, have God send angels down to come and save you. Testing him, mocking him, spitting on him, beating him says that when they took him to, to the Roman governor, Pilate, Pilate himself didn't agree for him to be crucified. He saw that he was being given over. He was being wanting to be killed out of envy, jealousy, and the desire for control. I want you to remember that, that the desire for control is why they wanted to kill him. 
And said, to, to appease them, he tried to just have Jesus whipped badly. So that maybe if they saw how badly he was injured, they wouldn't want to crucify him. And so it says that he sent him away that they whipped him. The, the whips that they had had little pieces of bone and metal in it to where it would it literally thrash the skin. It wasn't just a whip, it would rip the skin. And it said that they, they whipped him so much, beat him so badly, that you couldn't even tell he was a human being. Blood everywhere. Frail, flailed skin just peeling off. Couldn't even recognize him as a human being. And I just imagine Jesus from the very beginning of the garden, that's why he was so stressed out that it says that he was sweating so much that he was just pouring out sweat that was like blood falling from his, from his head as if he was bleeding because sweat was just perspiring that much. He was so stressed out because he knew that everything he was about to have to do in order to bring grace to mankind. After his beating and being whipped, all of his skin open and wounded, it says that the soldiers put a, a coarse robe around him to make fun of him. They put the crown of thorns and, and, and these thorns that it literally the thorns were about two inches long. And it said that they, they pushed the crown into his skull and went into his brow, piercing his head. And they began to mock worship him. Mock bent bowing down. Oh yes, you are the God. Yeah. Surely you must be him. And they gave him a, a, a cane to be a fake scepter. And then they would take that cane and beat him over the head with it. And it says when they got bored of making fun of the Son of God, it said that they got his robe, ripped it off of him. Think about all the open wounds, that, the blood that would stick to that robe and how they just ripped it off. Think a band-aid is bad. Imagine what this felt like. And then he's presented to the Jews and said, Is this enough? I behold the king of the Jews. Yet it wasn't enough to appease them. They said, Crucify him. Pilate himself gets a bowl of water and says, I wash my hands of this. This is so wrong. I can't control you guys. Do whatever you got to do. So it says that they led him away carrying his own cross. The splinters in his back. Carrying this big wooden log. I mean, I get, I, we moved a whole bunch of stuff last night. and I, I couldn't even make it the night. I was so tired. After being beaten beyond recognition, this all started the night before. No sleep. Now he's being forced as badly bruised and beaten as he is to carry this, this lug of a cross. Splinters and all. Open wounds and all. And the, and the, and the burning sun. And after he carries it, gets to the location says that they laid him on it and they, they pierced his hands and his feet. They got the nails. And, and those times, it, the way that they would say is that it would, they would pierce through the wrist because the, if they did it from the hands, it would rip out, the nail would rip out as they hung there. So he's, they pierced his wrists, his feet, and they lifted up the cross. And even then, they, they, were, they, they just couldn't get enough as they were doing this, Jesus yells out, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And what kind of love is that? To, to, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you just want the, the judgment fire to bring down 
destroy these people for their ignorance. And here God is saying, forgive them because they're ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. And see, with the crucifixion, the way the deaths would come is that because the, the way their arms were spread out, if, if they, they would literally have to push up on the nail on their feet for their, um, their lungs to, to function properly because they were spread out so far. And so every, for every breath that Jesus would take, he was pushing up from the nail on his feet to be able to just take one breath. And that's why when you read, after, when, when they were making sure that the, the people on the sides of him were crucified, it said that they broke their legs to make sure that they died. It's because they couldn't hold themselves up anymore and they would suffocate. So Jesus, it says that he took his last breath. He came up one last time and says, it is finished. It says that he breathed his last breath. And after that point, he's, he's laid in the tomb. Three days later, he resurrected all of his glory. He said, it is finished. The, the payment of people's sins is finished. Punishment of people's sins are finished here on the cross. From this point forward, anyone that trusts in me, I would be paying their fine. The moment that I believed Jesus made him my Lord and Savior is the moment I realized that, that the payment of the cross was not just a nice gesture, that it was an actual transaction. When he said, it is finished, remember back when we said it we credited righteousness? He's saying their debt is paid. They're not going to have to pay back themselves. I'm paying it for them. It is finished. The moment that I realized that it's only through Jesus that my debt could be paid is the moment that I, I surrendered my heart to Him. And I want you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I want you to think back to what I said a minute ago. Those people that crucified Jesus were the, were the people that desired control. See, oftentimes... We reject Jesus in our lives because we desire control. Even the simple thought of repentance, thinking, I don't want to do that. I should be able to do whatever I want. Is that not just a desire for control? Isn't it that that stops you from connecting with God, surrendering to Jesus Christ? Simple control. It's that very control that sent Jesus to the cross. If you're here right now and you say, I'm ready to release that control. You say, I'm ready to surrender my heart, my soul, my life to Jesus Christ. I want to feel that fulfillment in His resurrection. If that's you with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see your hands. So right where you're at, I want you to pray this prayer after me. If you raise your hand or if you wanted to. The Bible says 
and the book of Romans that all you have to do to be saved is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved. It's no longer about your works. It's about His grace. If you've already given your life to Christ, I want you to repeat this prayer after me as a reaffirmation of your faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I see the sacrifice that you made for me on the cross. You paid my debt. You made a way for me. I believe that you died for my sins. That you rose from the dead. That you are the way. And I put my heart and my trust in you. Where else can I go, God? You have the words of life. Teach me those words. Teach me that fulfillment. I trust you. Forgive me for my sins. Help me to walk forward in you. In Jesus' name. And right where you're at, I want you to just keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. And I want you to just have a moment where you connect with God. We're going to play this song for just a second. And these words are so simple. I love this song because it just says, I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. And I want you to just have a moment where you connect your spirit to his. Even if you have to imagine there's no one else in the room, that it's just you and God. I want you to have a moment with him. If he was here right now standing in front of you, what would he say to you? What would you say to him? I could just hear some of the things that he says. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are redeemed. Sing this out. No place I'll rather be. There's no place I'll rather be. No place I'll rather be. Than here in your love. Here in your love. There's no place I'll rather be. There's no place I'll rather be. No place I'd rather be than here in your love, here in your love. So set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain. That I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul. 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 Set a f
rather be There's no place I would rather be Than here in your love Here in your love There's no place I would rather be There's no place I would rather be There's no place I would rather be Than here in your love down in my soul that I can't contain that I can't control I want more of you God I want more of you God God, I thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your power, for your presence, for your provision. We put our trust in you, God, and we know that there's none like you. We know your truth. And we know that you are infinitely knowable. So we just cry out to you, God, for, and ask for you to show more of yourself to us. We love you, God. We love you, Jesus. We know who you are in a deeper way today, and we want to know you more. Finish the work that you started in all of our hearts. Cause this word to bear fruit. Bring about a difference in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Can we clap for God? Man. Did y'all like that message today? Y'all like that rasp I got going on at the end? Ah! Yeah, Lauren likes that. Well, guys, I'm, I was so excited to share this message today because oftentimes in church, it's just about a motivational message, just something to encourage you for the week, and we just tag Jesus on at the end. But it's so important for us to remind ourselves that it is literally all about Jesus, all about us, all about you, that everything is all about Jesus. You know, I love the way that our, our solar system works. It's a representation of God in our lives. Because everything in our, our universe, everything in our solar system revolves around the sun, right? So the, it literally breathes life and provides life to the world. And the moon, did you know that we, the moon lights up the earth too, right? It lights up the world. All it is, though, is a reflection of the sun. But it, it helps give just a little bit of night that we need through those dark hours, right? That's a lot like how we're supposed to be as Christians. Nothing within us is really doing anything to make a difference. But the, the Son of God reflects off of us. And we're able to bring a little bit of light to some darkness. It's nothing within us. It's all about from the one who it came from, Jesus Christ. And so you need to know yourself as a Christian, you are made to make a difference. You can shine a light in some darkness through someone else's life. Amen.
And so one thing that we believe at Mountain Church is that transparency leads to victory. Victory happens with transparency. And we, we believe this so strong. And oftentimes we receive so much information. It's rare for you to get a chance to share. And so we have what we call uh, some, some feedback questions that we want to share with you guys. And uh, these questions are really simple today. And you can answer one or both. Or you can just have a different comment or feedback altogether. Maybe you just want to share something on your heart. But the questions are, what is one thing that you learned about Jesus today? And what is one aspect that you want to better understand about Jesus? What is one thing that you learned? What is one thing you want to learn when it comes to Jesus? And so, that being said, I'm going to open this time to have a couple minutes to share. All you have to do is shoot up your hands. Hey, I want to say something. And I know that it's nerve-wracking to be the first one to share, but there's always a special blessing for the one that's brave enough. That's good. I like what you are doing. Let the suspense build. Yeah. It's powerful. I, I'm getting notion to, to call on people. If you, if you have loved ones in the background, just know that they're pointing at you. To, so why don't you just break the ice and do it before we have to. You don't, want, don't make me like guy that has to call on you. We all have something to share. It's important for you to share your thoughts, your opinions. Your opinions matter. Sessie, you have something you want to share? Awesome. Powerful stuff. Someone else want to share? What was that joke? else want to share remembering the cross important what was that Michaela Yeah. Wow. 
That's powerful stuff. And you know, one thing that always encourages me, and it took me years to really get it, is the, the idea that oftentimes we give our lives to Christ and we feel like, man, I, I feel so much like, I feel like I'm not enough. I feel like I'm not good enough. And we start thinking of God being a performance-based love, but His love doesn't change. I mean, if He loved me even when I was such a sinner, man, and He still loves me, even me trying to do the right thing, that's amazing. It's strength to my soul. Thanks for sharing that, Michaela. Anyone else want to share? This is your chance. I see it. Your lips are quivering because you want to share so badly, but you just, you're letting nervousness stop you. Dean. You know, uh, what I see, too, and what you're saying is, is like God forces us to use faith. He forces us to use faith and free will. He, isn't that amazing that our God, being as powerful as He is, that He gives us the free will to literally choose to have faith or not. And He's, he's shown us glimpses of Himself and saying, you get to know me more if you want to. And it, there's so much... In our walk with God, there's so much for you to learn and grow in your faith. And I strongly believe that when you ask God, when you seek Him, when you knock on His door, He will answer you. And what's great about our God is that the Holy Spirit will answer you and talk to you Himself. Everything that I feel like I've learned from God has been the times where I really believe the Holy Spirit has shown me. And so, and you can, you can have that too in your questions, your look, you're searching for God. So thanks again, Dean, for, for sharing that. Anyone else want to say something? Edward? Yeah. Uh, your stories about your time and 
Yeah. You want to know Him for you, not just what people have said to you at church. That's one of the most powerful things that you, could, that you can pursue. And I think a lot of people, young and old, feel that same way in their heart. That there's a level that they, and they can see someone else and they think, man, what is that like? That's powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing, Edward. Um, you know, we're, as, as we wrap up today, um, I want to I wanna thank you guys for being a part of today's service. Y'all like today's message? Yes. Yeah? Yes. It's good. Yeah, we can clap. Thank you, Michaela. I saw her hands. Here, I guess. Oh. Um, Jesus Manifesto. It's all about Jesus. And, you know, there's, a, there's just a couple things that, uh, as we dismiss, um, you know, when it comes to our, uh, our church, we believe that one decision makes a difference. One decision makes a difference. And oftentimes, we make those decisions, but we don't, we don't make anyone else a part of it. And church is supposed to be a place that you can trust. A, a place where you grow in your faith together. Imagine being a part of a church where you actually trust the people you go to church with. Wouldn't that be amazing, right? Imagine a group of people like that you would consider friends and family. Being people that you'd want to hang out with and want to talk to. Being the people you go to church with. Wouldn't that be just the best? That's what we want to be. That's the only way that could happen is by each of us making that a decision. And one, one thing that we're starting is, uh, is we want you to get connected. We want you to get connected. And um, sorry to ask in front of everybody else, but Lo, did you happen to bring those get connection cards? No, you wanted to bring suspense. That's okay. Let, let's give Lo a hand. We, we, had some, we, we got some new paper cards for you guys to make it easier to get connected. But all you have to do is go to the website, mtnchurchsa.com. Click Get Connected. You put your information there. And in the message box, tell us what, what you want. Tell us, do you, do you want to get baptized? Do you want to join a life group? Do you want to learn more about what church is? Do you want to, did you give your life to Christ and you want to know what to do next? Do you need just prayer? Go to the website, click the Get Connected tab and fill it out there and send it in so that we can better conne- be better connection as a church. Y'all dig what I'm saying? If you have given your life to Christ, one of the most important next steps to do is being baptized. Being water baptized. Water baptism is a, is a practice of our faith. And there's a lot of scriptures behind it. But to give it in short, when you're water baptized, you know when they dunk you? It's perfect timing. When they dunk you underwater, it, it's, it's not, it, believe it or not, it's not symbolic of necessarily washing away your sins. What it represents is Jesus' death being buried. And his resurrection coming back alive in a whole new glorious form. Did you know that water magnifies, right? You're able to see more clearly with magnification. Well, coming out of the water, you see life more clearly. When you are baptized, you're representing Jesus' death on the cross. And you're representing your death to your own life of sin. 
and you're raising up a new person, a new creation in Christ, just like Jesus resurrected. And it, it's not what saves you. Okay, when you give your life to Christ, you're, you're saved. When you, when you did, even if you prayed that prayer today, you're saved. Now, a lot of Christians wonder, well, am I really saved? If you've done what we did today, if you gave, if you confessed with your heart, your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you, you're making a, an acknowledgeable effort to turn away from your past and move forward in Christ. You're saved. You're good. Don't, don't keep second-guessing your relationship with God. That's what saves you. But what water baptism is, is like an engagement ring. The Bible constantly uh, refers to us as being the bride of Christ. That we're, that we're literally being engaged to Christ. We're, we're married to Him. And I'm married to my wife with or without this ring, right? My wife's like, amen. <laughs> we're married with or without the ring. But the ring is a symbol for others around me that I belong to somebody, right? That's what water baptism does. It's a symbol for others that you belong to somebody, Jesus Christ. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so if you have not been baptized... Maybe you were baptized when you were a baby and you want, to be, you want to make the decision yourself. I want to encourage you to make that decision. Next Sunday, Labor Day weekend, we're going to be having baptisms after service. We're going to literally, uh, we're going to drive to uh, our apartments and do baptisms in the pool. Uh, and, and if you think that sounds a little bit weird, I've done baptisms in bathtubs before. So it's, a pool is nice. Hot tub is even better because it like does a purifying work. But we're, we're going to have baptisms next Sunday after church. And if you are ready to make that step in your faith and be water baptized, water baptized, you need to let us know. You can either let us know in person, text us, call us, or go to the website and click the Get Connected tab and just put, I want to be baptized. And we're going we're gonna to put you in the lot. Okay? But it's important in your step of faith, if you have not been water baptized, I encourage you, every time someone put their trust in Jesus Christ in the Bible, they were immediately baptized. There's one guy who said, look, there's a body of water just right here. It's like not even a pond. There's just some water on the road. He said, okay, you just baptize me there. The disciple Philip said, yeah, sure. Boom, done. So if you're ready to make that step, let us know. So grateful for you guys being a part today. And the next, the next thing that we have, uh, the very next thing that we have, get, get connected. Joe talked about this morning about our new service times. New service times. Joe loved meeting here at 11 o'clock, right? Well, so does every Cowboy fan. <laughs> every, everyone loves their football games on Sundays, right? If you haven't noticed... We are in the very location that is prime time for most people in our society to watch those football games with their community, right? Who does not want to see the Cowboys game with everybody else so that they can yell and say yes at a place like this, right? So due to the fact that football season is starting, we love meeting here and having church so much, but we got we to gotta respect the football season. We gotta respect it. God, God says to obey the laws of the land, and the football is the law of the land right now. <laughs> and so we are moving our service all the way up to 9:30. 9:30. 
Now look, I know that that might be frightening for you. You might be thinking like, shoot, like I barely made it today. I'm just lucky that we had snacks before everyone got here. But look, this is, it's, it's what we have to do. And I don't want you guys to not be a part of church because of it being an earlier time. So it's going to be from nine, at 9.30, okay? We're still going to have that time for snacks and goodies. Even if you get here at 10 o'clock, we're, it's still going to be okay. But we're going to be here till 11.30. That's when we have to be out of here for sure so that everyone can enjoy the football game. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so, please, just for, for my reassurance, at first I was like, oh my God, like our church is going to fall apart. <laughs> for my reassurance, can, I just, can you guys just show me your hand and say, I'm still going to be here. Just still be here. You know, I was praying. I was crying. I was crying. Oh, God, no. But I have faith in you guys. Y'all still make it, right? Yes. You don't even bring your friends. Your family still say, no, it's all right. They have, you, you don't even have to eat breakfast before. Look how much food we had today. We're going to feed you guys. We're going to take care of you. So just still make it. We're starting that after Labor Day weekend. So the 9th. Someone say the 9th. That's the second Sunday of September. That's when we're officially moving to 9.30, okay? Some say the 9th. The 9th. 9.30. The 9th. The 9th. 9.30. I've learned that repetition helps solidify people's minds. That's why places say girls, 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 because the repetition. So we say church, 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 9, 9.30, 9.30. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Let's all stand up as we get, uh, grab hands and pray. So grateful for you guys. And grab the person next to you's hand. And you can go one back, uh, go one slide back, Edward. Oh. Next month, September, you can still hand, hold the person's hand. It's all right. I want y'all to feel a little uncomfortable. Spirit of God. Next this, this next month, we're starting a series called Monsters Within. Monsters Within. We're going to talk about the nitty-gritty stuff. The things that nobody wants to talk about in church. We're going to be talking about addictions, temptations. We're going to talk about insecurities, doubts. We're going to talk about anger. The ugly things within us. Sometimes the scariest things are the things that are within our souls. And so get excited about this next month, Monsters Within, and let's pray. God, I thank you for every person here, and I ask that you bless every family represented, that you give them joy and peace, that you encourage them, that you bless every person that's about to come here to enjoy the game, enjoy any TV or festivities, that the Spirit of God would bless them, God, and draw all people unto you. I pray that the message that we shared today would be something that brings about fruit and makes a difference in the lives of the people here. We ask that you bless this bar, bless bless Heather and the, the employees in it, cause them to feel your joy and your peace today, give about energy for anyone who's tired, and we thank you for what you're doing in the lives of the people that we're connected to. In your name we pray and we love you, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you guys, so grateful. We carried on a little bit, so we're going to go ahead and start tearing down. I'm so grateful for you guys. Do not leave without giving someone a hug or a high five. Don't leave without giving someone a hug or a high five. Grateful for you guys. Get some food, please. We have so much food. Share your food. Maybe you know someone that needs some food right now. There's a person on the highway that looks hungry. Take some food for them. Take some food for them.
Love you guys. Thank you so much.